Hello and welcome to this newest blog article and podcast. My name is Angelica and with this recording today I'm responding to a request. I had done a poll on Facebook to find out what topics you might want me to speak about. One of your requests was anxiety and I recorded that blog the other day. Another one that was that I was approached with was addictions. And of course, that is a very complex topic. And I'll do my best to speak towards that topic, but I have to probably preface that I'm not an addiction counselor. But one way in which I can speak to a topic of addiction is, on one hand, in how far it has touched me personally. And another way is to share my understanding of the origin of addictive behavior. I grew up with a close family member who was an alcoholic, so I've experienced how destructive and challenging an addiction is for the entire family. And I believe that it's really important not to downplay addiction, no matter how socially acceptable the substance or activity somebody engages with in an addictive way is, for example, alcohol. I also believe And that's what I want to focus on today in this podcast, that as parents, grandparents, educators, we can make a huge difference for the next generation if we understand how addictions begin. Making sure that children do not just learn their ABCs and math skills, but also learn not to develop addictive patterns or behaviors. That's as important. So what can we do to address addictions? Let's explore why addictive energy shows up. And we probably need to begin with a definition of addiction because recognizing addiction can be quite intuitive. You might feel that you will recognize an addiction when you see it, that sort of thing. But in order to discuss the topic, we need to come to an agreement as to what qualifies as an addiction, especially as Um, addiction is connected with a lot of denial as well. So here's a definition by Dr. Alexandra Katehakis. She says an addiction can be defined as something to which we have a strong predilection for and have little control over our actions in relation to the desire. So we may find that we spend a lot of time either engaging in that addictive behavior itself or in preparation for that experience. And unlike other things which we enjoy a lot, an addiction can have a certain component of secrecy. It can also have shame connected to it. And that is, of course, especially true when the behavior that we're engaging is at odds with our own personal value system. Most people think of drinking, taking drugs when they hear the term addiction. However, there's a long list of addictive behaviors we engage in. So just a few examples of those behaviors are addictive eating. Of course, what we mentioned already, depending on alcohol, smoking cigarettes, smoking marijuana, taking drugs or even prescription medication. There's addiction to sex or pornography. Engaging in workaholic behavior is an addiction. Addictive exercising or addictive working out, gambling, compulsive shopping and overspending, 
addictive consumption of TV, video games, other electronics, that sort of thing, or an ob obsessive engagement in social media. So there's many, many different ways in which we engage in an addictive way with either an object or an activity. So a question is, why do we interact in that addictive way with certain substances or activities? What's going on with these behaviors? All these behaviors are short-term coping mechanisms to distract ourselves from unpleasant emotional states. We have literally been conditioned to respond to emotional pain, like sadness, overwhelm, stress, and all other uncomfortable emotions by eating, drinking, smoking, or distracting ourselves with any of those activities that I just mentioned. Even a nervous habit like nail biting or picking the skin around your cuticles, lip biting, twirling your hair, all those are subconscious attempts to deal with unpleasant emotions. They have these activities or substances have become our pacifiers. In short term, these activities might feel like they give us some relief or some calm or comfort, but we've not addressed the real problems, of course, by engaging in these behaviors. We've instead taken our emotions and pushed them down with food, with alcohol, with drugs, or we've distracted ourselves from feeling them, from acknowledging them. However, every emotion gives us feedback about unmet needs or another situation which needs to be addressed. When we're, for example, expressing sadness or grief, that's because we're feeling a loss. So then we need to process that loss. If we're feeling anxiety or fear, another emotion that shows up, we need to take action steps to explore this and achieve greater safety. If we're feeling that something is unfair, that's a call to make fair. Or if a situation lies in the past, to forgive and let go. If we're feeling anger, we need to investigate what more vulnerable feelings are underneath that anger and need to be addressed. That's what I've described a little bit more in my blog called the Anger Iceberg blog and podcast. What we do instead, though, is we ignore the messenger. We are doing what we've learned as children when we're comforted with a pacifier, with a soother or the food. And of course, I'm not blaming any parents or caregivers here. They didn't know that with a soother to make us stop crying or with a cookie to sweeten a disappointment we had or with a box of ice cream for the heartache of a bag of chips when we're angry that we're actually stuffing all these emotions down and that they become our automatic go-to and our basis for any addictive behavior. When I was teaching elementary school, that's almost 20 years ago, we had an interesting unit one year, an extension to the regular curriculum which was proposed by an older colleague of mine. And the unit, which she and I taught in the grade three classrooms, was around recognizing unpleasant emotions and developing different action strategies. The idea of that whole unit was for the students to learn 
that serving the food or watching TV or engaging in electronic activities only led to the emotions temporarily going away while seeking human contact. So if they were to go to a parent or another adult they trusted and talking to that person, that was actually soothing plus helpful in regards to changing the emotional state or to addressing the underlying need that wasn't met. So this was all about changing that normal childhood conditioning that has happened to most of us into a healthier way. Addictive behavior is indeed often established in early childhood because human beings need other human beings for regulation. And it is the job of a primary caregiver to be present and to be a secure anchor for the child, to be an interactive regulator, somebody who soothes, comforts, supports in a gentle and loving manner. So that a state of either a high sympathetic arousal, that fight or flight state, or a parasympathetic response like freeze response or dissociation that these, these states can be turned into feeling safe and secure. What happens instead, though, is due to the fact that most parents themselves have not learned to rely on human interaction, but to rely on outside stimulants, is that parents or other caregivers model addictive behavior when they're emotionally aroused. Sadly, only... 54% of people in our society today have experienced and learned a secure attachment style. And of course, parents can only do the best based on what they know and understand. Unfortunately, children who do not have conscious and emotionally present caregivers inevitably learn strategies in order to survive and then often carry these energy-relieving patterns into adulthood. So the result then is a dependency on external soothing, often combined also with a mistrust that others are willing and capable to meet their needs. And you might be, as so many parents, have given your toddler a pacifier. And then once they're two or three years old, you will probably have been advised that it's time to take this soother away. It's a very common habit, though, and it's already one of those habits where kids learn to comfort um, with an outside object, go to a suva, a pacifier for comfort. So as we're embarking into that first transition, we also need to let our children know when we're taking that suva away that there's people around them to turn to instead. And I actually heard a lovely story the other day of a mother explaining to her daughter, now that she's so big and she doesn't need the suva anymore, that she can give it to her younger cousin because the younger cousin needs the suva. So she's allowing the daughter to decide without pressure when it's time to wrap the suva up as a gift and pass it on to the younger cousin. So she's handling the situation quite consciously, which is beautiful. And at the same time, the mother would, of course, also need to offer her presence and the presence of other contact persons. In this case, it was the grandmother who also looked a lot after her daughter to offer the presence of these people 
as human alternatives to the suva. Because when we expect our toddlers to get rid of the pacifiers, when they're not securely attached, when they don't have another option, they will inevitably develop other habits of soothing. So children really need to learn that they can count on their caregivers. And of course, as parents, we might not personally always be able to be there for them, but we can direct them to other trustworthy and conscious adults who will support them. So that way we can provide that secure anchor for them through our own actions, but also by helping them build a support system, a human support system, so that they learn to soothe through human contact rather than addictive substances or um, addictive activities. The particular addictive substance someone is abusing is not really the problem. That's only the secondary problem. It becomes a problem in the end. But the primary underlying problem is that we learn addictive behavior. So rather than judging others when they have an addiction, they show addictive behavior, let's take an honest look in the mirror and examine in which ways we also tend to reach for outside stimulants. If you tell me you don't, wow, that's really very rare. Most people use some outside stimulants to soothe and comfort. So in which ways are we comforting or distracting ourselves instead of facing challenging emotions and addressing our unmet needs? So the best thing we can do to change the problem of addiction, in my mind, is to start with how we handle our own emotions. So let's throw out those pacifiers that we use as adults so that we can teach the next generation a healthier approach to handling our emotional states. After all, our emotions are like a friend who never lies to us. They give us beautiful feedback. We need them. And when we learn to listen to them and face them, we can handle life so much better. So thank you very much for listening. And hopefully you'll listen again in soon. And I wish you a wonderful day.